Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Damien McKinney, Global CEO of Stolly Group. Having previously founded and built a global consultancy, McKinney Rogers, Damien's also worked for Diageo and across many industries and continents, with a particular focus on the alcohol industry. A former officer in the Royal Marine Commandos, he has numerous awards for courage and distinguished service. And in this episode, we discuss the rebranding of Stolichnaya, a historic vodka brand dating back to 1948, which was once a standard bearer of Soviet and Russian vodka. So, Damien McKinney, great to have you here on Money Talks. Now, this is what a bottle of uh, Stolichnaya looks like now. I used to live in Russia. It's come a long way, this brand. It's come a very long way from 1938 when the first recipe uh, led to the, the, the original Stolichnaya. Um, but really the big breakthrough, I, you, you, if I may, just two things on the bottle. Number one is from 2000 onwards, we became very firmly a Latvian brand. Uh, but what we never did was lose the recipe. Mm. There's that beauty of that, almost my grandfather's recipe, for what I believe and we believe is the best vodka in the world, and it just won a double award at San Francisco. Um, what's special about this bottle is, I think, two parts. One is it firmly launches us as Stolly, mm. which I think is special. But even more importantly, you'll see the dove, you'll see the Ukrainian colors on here. We absolutely, uh, on the day of the 24th of February, made it very clear that we stood against the invasion. Um, and this bottle is all about one standing next to and standing for Ukraine, but two, every cent of this goes to what I think is one of the most extraordinary charities um, is World Central Kitchen and Jose Andres. So the bottle is it's decked out in blue and yellow of Ukraine. It must be tough marketing what is essentially an iconic Russian brand at a time like this. Yeah, it's interesting. I have to say on the 24th of February, there was clearly a perception of, you know, we were a Russian brand with a, with a Russian product. Um, the great news is truth always comes through. Uh, the key is to actually, first of all, establish that, yes, there's Russian heritage. Mm. Uh, and there is a big debate as to where vodka comes from in the first place, whether it's <laughs> Poland, Russia or otherwise. Um, the good news is the recipe stands. Uh, I think the second is, and the truth always comes through, is yes, we were originally in Russia. But in 2000, as a result of, frankly, Yuri Shefflin, my founder, uh, recognizing that, that under Putin, Russia was clearly going the wrong direction, he stood for the opposition and he then looked for a safe haven. So effectively, Latvia opened itself up and said, we welcome you, please come to Latvia and please set yourself up here. And we've been there for the last 22 years. So you're, you grew up in Kenya, you distinguished record of service in, in, in the Royal Marines. How did you find yourself in this position where you are effectively running uh, the company behind what is now Stolly? Yeah. Um, uh, well, the, the first thing is, how, did, how does any role emerge in uh, September 2020 in the height of the COVID crisis? Uh, I'd done quite a lot of work with Diageo and a number of other companies over Huge the years. Huge drinks conglomerate. Yeah. Which I thoroughly enjoyed. And they're, they're all great. It's a great company. Um, and I was heavily involved in Johnny Walker and some of those. So, so in a funny sort of way, particularly I got involved in Smirnoff, you, know, you, looked at, you look at Stolly and you think, now there's a great brand, but, but will it really ever get its act together? Um, and then all of a sudden, 
in August 2020, I met Yuri. He said, you know, at the end of half an hour, would you be prepared to join wow. the global as a global CEO? Um, and I, I suppose you've got to link the Royal Marine Commando background to the time I'd spent, obviously, in the industry to think, just imagine if mm. we could do that. And I suppose, and I was quoted in the FT as, you know, this this reaction, I've got one more mission in me. Why wouldn't <laughs> I go for it? Uh, and that was it. I started on the 1st of October. I've been doing it for now, what's that, 18 months, just over 18 months. Uh, massive inevitable transformation. Um, and, you know, we grew 38% last year in our first year, changed a lot of people, changed a lot of processes. But at, at the heart of all of this was how did we wake up this sleeping beauty? Um, because frankly, she'd gone to sleep, you know, apart from Ab Fab and all the others. Mm. You know, frankly, if you ask my 25-year-old daughter, she had never drunk it. Mm. Um, so we'd lost sight of what you do with a great brand. And that's been really the, the thrust over the last 18 months. It's interesting, isn't it, how certain spirits change their their image over the years. You know, think back to Victorian Britain, you know, gin was called Mother's Ruin. Now people drink gin at Henley and at Ascot and high society. And tell me what you think about the kind of journey of vodka, the perception of vodka. It feels to me that vodka is now a much more sophisticated drink than it was even 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think it was, it's the Sydney Frank with, with Grey Goose probably more than anybody else decided how do you take a, a brand that, frankly, you took to parties, wasn't terribly expensive, very versatile and very easy to drink, albeit we'd always over the years made some great cocktails um, and actually said, you know what, there's real high value in this, hence the Grey Goose. Mm. Um, I, I would credit him and a number of others. And Absolute as well was a huge breakthrough and, 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 for vodka. And Absolute and, and the sort of clarity associated with that. Um, so I think they definitely did. And I think, I think what always comes down to, though, is what's the story behind the brand in the first place? Mm. Um, and, and if you can get the story right in an authentic and transparent way, then, then you crack it. And I think that the reason why I was frustrated with Stolly is because People just forgot about the story. They forgot about the essence of the brand, and and frankly, the essence is partly its provenance and, and the recipe and the fact that it's a, it's it's just alpha grade spirit, which is a, a clear defining moment mm. in terms of creating it. I think the second is, and it's really what's emerged over the last eighteen months as we've looked into the essence of the brand, is a brand that stood for liberation, uh, and we've actually launched what we call Liberate Your Spirit. It's it's therefore it stands for causes. And therefore, not surprisingly, back in 2013 and, and, and subsequently, we've always stood for the LGBTQ plus uh, opportunity to actually say this is who we are and what we stand for and, and should be given freedom. Um, and then that's where, of course, when Ukraine comes along, I felt a bit like, you know, I've had 18 months of, of turning this brand around and the company. Um, we've been talking about attention between how do you create a, a high-performing business, a real a, a business that's, that's, that's growing, but the tension with sustainability and standing up for causes and, and, and in a sense, charity in, in many respects. Um, and that's great on a PowerPoint. Mm. But suddenly you get faced with a situation like Ukraine and you've got to decide where you stand. Let me, let me take a risk here in this discussion, if, if, if I may. Please I know do. I'm in the hands of a, a raw marine and you, you could kill me with your pants. I'll be gentle. <laughs> but look, companies now, certainly you know, big global companies, they're very keen to be associated with certain causes and, 
I mean, is there a danger in that? You know, somebody just wants to go to a bar and order a great vodka. They don't want to be, quotes, you know, they may think preached at about, you know, what side to take in a conflict between two sovereign countries. They don't want to be preached at about people's sexuality and so on. Do you think, when do you think corporations, are, do you think corporations are ever going to think, well, maybe we should just tone it down and stick with our knitting? No, I, look, I think, I think it's, it, you don't, it's no risk because I think it's the right question. But I think there's two parts mm. in terms of, of my answer. You see what I'm getting at there? No, I do. But, mm. but I, the, the first thing is, I, I think we have smarter, cleverer consumers than we had in the past. And, 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 and they do want to know what they're drinking and, and where did it come from. And, 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 and of course there's a sort of purity to this mm. because that, obviously, the experience comes from that. But, but part of that is how's it made? You know, and we talk no, about sure. fair trade and yeah. so forth. So, so I think we've already got discerning consumers who are looking at the whole value chain, including clearly sustainability and, and, sure. and, and so forth. So I do think there's a, there's a big piece about that. But there's a second piece here, which is, do I really want to buy it from a company that, frankly, I can't trust? So we could create a great product. But I also think, and there's fingerprints all over the internet now, and, and people will, of course, go into your history and so forth and say, you may have created something that's great, but, but actually, I don't trust you. I don't think you're the, the sort of person, you know, would I take that bottle as, as my best friend home to meet my parents or otherwise? And, and, and if you don't tick all those boxes, the, the reason why I think it's a really great question is I do think most businesses are, it's a balancing act that they're, they're playing. And I get that. Now, I, I don't call it... So you it can't a, go too far. Well, I'm totally with you on... on well, I think it's a tension. Yeah. I'd see, I, I think I've turned it into a tension rather than a balancing act. Mm, okay. Because I think, and in a way, it reflects my previous life, which is, uh, at the end of the day, there's always risk. But if you're truly going to stand up in front of people, as many companies are, and say, we believe in corporate social responsibility in, 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 in the broadest sense, then... That's one thing to say it in a conference. And by the way, I've met many CEOs in my pre... I run a consultancy. It's just um, window dressing, well, basically. I used to say to yeah. them, and I remember, they, I'll never forget, one of them made a grand speech, and it sounded wonderful. And I looked him in the eye and I said, do you really believe in what you've just said? He said, of course I do. And I thought, no, you don't at all. And the first time there's a crisis, it'll be, look, I know but times are different. I don't believe that's right. If we as, and that's why I think there's a big piece about leadership here, which is mm, if mm. you believe, now you could say, I'm really sorry, I, I understand this corporate social responsibility. We can't afford it. We're not really going to do it. It's, it's all about business. Do you know what? That's okay. I mean, I obviously agree with it, but it's okay. But what you can't do is claim to do both. Mm. And then in a hard time, suddenly drop the social responsibility, say, I'm not going to do that because I'm still going to stick to this, this part of my agenda. The danger is, That's though, the, I, I'm totally with you. I do think particularly younger people want to know where stuff is made. They might, you know, consumers have huge power. Consumer boycotts of brands yep. can literally make or break um, companies. Uh, so I, I'm totally with you on that. But there, surely there's a danger, and it's there in your, in your tension model, that some people may just say, stop preaching at me. It's just words. This isn't costing you any money, aside from the fee for the PR company who wrote this stuff. I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, for instance, you know, I'd already had a conversation on the 26th of February with, with Yuri about rebranding. Mm. Um, we didn't announce it for another week because sure. I was really conscious mm. yeah, yeah. that this could be seen as a gimmick. Yeah, just a knee-jerk. Quick, yeah. yeah. exactly. quick reaction, exactly. Quick reaction to this. Um, 
I think going back to your direct point, which is that don't keep preaching at me because actually at the end of the day, it's probably not true. I don't really trust you otherwise. I think in a sense, time will tell. Yeah, I think uh, And right. I think we're judged by a series of experiences. And that's why if I go back to my previous life, it's really easy to be a fair weather soldier. Wait till you're, <laughs> it's two o'clock in the morning and it's pouring with rain, you're freezing cold and frankly frightened. Now let's see whether you still do what you say you're going to do. You know, the fact that you and I are sitting here in London talking about a brand like uh, Stolichnaya, for all the, the horror, the ghastly situation that currently exists in Ukraine, uh, I think it does point to a, a, a bigger truth. And the bigger truth is that you know, Eastern Europe, Central Europe, you know, the former Soviet Union, a place where I've spent a lot of my professional life, and you're obviously hugely interested in it and experienced in it now, it has opened up in our adult lifetime since 89, since 91. There is now huge business being done between people in Russia and Ukraine and all the Slavic countries and Western Europe in a way that we couldn't have imagined when we were kids. We were, we're both Absolutely kids of the, right. of, of the Cold War, right? And in the end, surely that's something we've got to hang on to, the fact that there may be um, real tension at the moment, rightly so, the West is really angry at Russia and so on. But I don't think there's any going back, not least because of the relationships that now exist in business. The fact that we've got you, a former Royal Marine, running Stolichnaya, the fact that you know someone like me has many, many friends and, 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 and relationships with people in Russia, in Ukraine, in Kazakhstan, surely there's no going back to the Cold War that we grew up with. I hope we don't get back to it. I think it's the, sh is the short answer. Because you're right, never in my lifetime did I ever believe that I would actually be walking <laughs> in any of the Warsaw Pact countries, <laughs> let alone in... You know, do so, business, so, betting the ranch. <laughs> you know, exactly. So, no, I, I, God, I mean, I just hope it doesn't happen. Mm. But here's, here's, the, here's the, 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 the rub of all of this is we do have friends, and I do mm. have friends mm. um, there, and I have people who have worked for me and, mm. and indeed worked for me on the ground in Ukraine as well as in Russia. Mm. I've just come back from Georgia. So mm. I've got a distributor there and I've got people in What Georgia. a fabulous country to I, I visit, mean, by the way. Oh, One of my best favourite countries to go. The food is unbelievable, the landscape, the scenery. It's and wonderful. Stunning, yeah. stunning. So you know, another good reason, because people... The issue, however, is, as you know, is it comes down to political leaders at times. And, you know, one of the, the you know, you, you grow up over, over, over your lifetime. But I was involved in a big refugee crisis back in Kurdistan at the end of the first mm. Gulf War. And we had 50,000 refugees and we ended up running what effectively was peace talks. And I'll never forget the day. And I've been working with this guy called General Ali. General Ali was head of the Kurdish Peshmerga group. Um, I think I was 30, he was 30. So we were both young guys. He clearly had a lot more people than I had. Um, but nevertheless, this helicopter, this Black Hawk landed and out of it came a, an Iraqi brigadier general who looked just like spitting image of Saddam Hussein. <laughs> uh, and my reaction was, you know, is it? Um, and they said, no, no, they all dress like this. So anyway, so, so Ali went over, we, we, we greeted him, came up, and we ended up at the sort of top of this hill having these, what in virtual commas, were peace talks. But what really shocked me was that Ali not only went up and shook his hand, but held his hand. Yeah. And they walked hand in hand, this Iraqi brigadier general in uniform, him wearing his Peshmerga, uh, outfit, all the way to the top, holding hand to hand. We then had the conversations, and at the end of it all, he went back, got on his helicopter and left. And I turned to, to Ali and said, I, I just don't understand that. 
you have lost the majority of your family. We are sitting here in an area where clearly not only was genocide and the gassing and the orchards destroyed, I just don't understand it. And he turned to me and said, Damien, it's not him. It's about the political leader mm. who has sent him to war, mm. not him. And do you know, I have to say that was a moment where, you know, again, there are moments in your life when you grow up with little bits of wisdom. But actually, this is not about blaming Russian people. Mm. I'm afraid this is about one individual and a group of people around him who have decided, for whatever reason, to invade a, a, an independently free, frankly, and peaceful country. Now that we can't stand to. And I hope, I hope as, as human beings, maybe that's the biggest reflection for me over the last few weeks, um, that yes, there's a piece to, 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 to actually not losing sight of the friends, but maybe what it's also done is forced us to go back to understanding what's good and, and right. And I don't want to sound sort of um, kumbaya-ish in, in this discussion, <laughs> but, but I do believe at the end of the day, we as, as leaders, we as businesses, we as you know, journalists, whatever, at the end of the day, there's always been a battle between good and bad. And if we don't stand by what's good, then at the end of the day, we have a problem. And I think this is one of those moments. Let's talk about Stolichnaya now and, and where it's going. I mean, you will know just how um, iconic Stolichnaya was during the Soviet era. I've got Soviet iconography posters on the wall of my study at home and you know posters about abstinence a guy sitting there saying yeah and there's like <laughs> clear it's clearly Stolichnaya you've got the red label and the yeah. white bottle of the distinctive shape bottle yeah. where is Stolichnaya made now um, and tell me a little bit about the production process. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's easy. So, so first of all, I'm going to ask you to call it Stolly since we're okay. relaunching okay. it, so we can call it that. Um, but but the, the Latvia is, is exactly right. So, so mm. up until the invasion, we did actually bring uh, the alpha-grade spirit in from a, refine, from a distillery um, uh, essentially across the border. Um, and that, of course took Russian wheat as well as Ukrainian mm. wheat, et cetera, mm. but mm. mostly Russian wheat. So that's the sort of first stage of the process, but essentially it was spirit. Mm. We would bring it in and then it's every, all the kind of magic was done in Latvia, um, in Riga. And that's the place where we would blend it, we would filter it and, uh, and so forth, bottle it, label it, distribute, distribute et cetera. So all, all of that piece was done there. And, and actually we got a lot of our, um, uh, so the bottle and the closures came from Ukraine. Um, we had and, and labels. We also had uh, product from from um, uh, Poland and, and so forth. Um, with effect from the, the the invasion, we'd already gone to Slovakia and started looking for alternatives to what we call this alpha grade spirit, um, and we'd already started to produce some there. So effectively, what we've simply done is we've said, right, let's go to Slovakia. They'll produce all the the alpha grade spirit. Uh, the wheat traditionally came from a lot of it from Ukraine, but also Eastern Europe, um, and then the rest of the production it continues to be Eastern European slash most of it in Latvia. Very very interesting. I wonder how we're going to drink vodka, Stolly and other vodkas going forward here in the West, because, I mean, I know from my years living in the former Soviet Union, there's a kind of tradition. If, I, if, if, if we're friends and I go and go to your apartment and see you and I bring a bottle of vodka, you can't open the bottle of vodka without finishing it. 
<laughs> I mean, and that sounds completely ridiculous in the West. What, drink a whole bottle of vodka between two people? But it's worth saying, the way vodka is drunk in Eastern Europe, it, it doesn't, you, you know, this would be on a work night. You drink it slowly and you drink it really, really cold and you eat throughout the process. You constantly eat little pieces of bread, cheese, ham. And if you, if two, you know, big guys like us drank a bottle of vodka over a sort of four or five hour period with lots of food and stuff, that's kind of okay. I mean, you know, you're not going to drive home, no. but you're not going to fall over. Uh, um, but we don't drink vodka like that here in the West, do we? We drink vodka, you know, we drink it with orange juice and make a screwdriver or we make make cocktails. Do you think we're going to start drinking more vodka neat? What's the kind of vision that you have that doesn't mean we drink it as shots in a debauched way, but we just, to actually really taste it, because when you live in Eastern Europe and Russia for a while, you do actually start to learn to taste vodka, and it's an interesting taste. Look, I think, I love the question, because if you take rum, for instance, yeah. you take cognac, you take uh, most of the ultra premiums, you'll, most people will talk about this idea of sipping. Um, mm. Scotch is, yeah. is, is uh, more whiskey. Quaffing. <laughs> so, so, in a set, so I think what hap what's happened, look, I'm going to see, we'll have cocktails. Yeah, of and, course and we'll have cocktails. cocktails. And part be of the cocktail. reason we cocktails is because it is such an extraordinarily versatile Indeed, mixture, indeed. And it makes, a, it makes a great cocktail. So we'll continue to yeah. do that. But, but it's a great point, and particularly, you know, we talked to, I've just come back from Georgia, where uh, everybody does, uh, everybody has a, makes a little speech. Yeah. And you, uh, and you walk your way shot. around yeah. and have a tiny little shot. And at the, the end of the speech, everybody is, is, is giving the health of, of, of you know, the individuals, etc. Um, look, there is, of course, there are, there are people who will, who are, I think we're going to go back to sipping. I do. Mm. I mean, we've, I got a brand, we've got a brand called Elite. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I was not a great sipper of, of, of vodka. Mm. Uh, mm. You've, you've, you obviously have much more experience than I had. But, but once you, it's a bit like wine or champagne or anything else. Once you've tasted something that's really amazing, that's right. then, then you will sip it and you will enjoy it. What, what I'd hate us to do is go down the, sh frankly, the, 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 yeah. the shot yeah. syndrome. That, where that's frankly, not what I'm talking no, about no, at all. I know, but I would hate anybody to think that because, yeah. because I've, you know, I came from Kenya and I was shocked when I first came to England that, <laughs> that, that people went out and they just got blitzed, as they would say. And apparently that's perfectly normal. Um, honestly, now, I'm not yeah. saying that, that people aren't going to celebrate mm. the extreme, but I hate to, to, mm. to encourage that culture. But I think the idea of discerning what is something that tastes amazing, I see no reason why we shan't do that. And ultimately, a martini, you know, the purest sense, mm. is just neat vodka. Mm. Mm. Or neat gym, but neat vodka, okay. Well, it's an iconic brand. I, I will call it Stolly, of course. Um, <laughs> Thank you. All the best of luck to you with it, Damien. Uh, and what a fabulous bottle. And uh, the very best of luck with the business. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money, at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.